Hello, I'm Marie Sneeman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Introducing you to a wide range of wellness professionals ready to inform and inspire. Today we're talking about the joys and benefits of circle dancing. My guest is Judy King, international circle dance teacher based in the UK. Welcome, Judy. Well, hello, and thank you so much for this invitation to speak with you. I'm very excited about this topic because it's close to my heart. Mm, indeed. To our listeners, after our conversation, it will be fun question time. Judy, many moons ago, I was privileged to attend a circle dancing workshop you gave in South Africa with your life partner and fellow circle dancing teacher, Mandy de Winter. In the meantime, Mandy has sadly passed away. And I'd like to know if you have any special memories about the time in South Africa. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, we were privileged to come and dance uh, with you at the invitation of Yvonne Shapiro and Gail Howarth. And we came twice. We came in 2006 and 2009. And what were our special memories? There were just so many. Um, the life, the love, the joy that participants had in in dancing and I, I think one of the things that struck us both at the time was the the pure willingness to go further into the dances and simply dancing steps while at the same time we had fun simply dancing the steps mm. and I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit later about going deeper. Could you fire yeah. away by telling us what circle dancing is? <laughs> well, at its most simple form, it is holding hands and dancing in a circle formation. It began many, many years ago with a German dance teacher called Bernard Vosin. And he was a, a trained ballet teacher and ballet dancer, but he actually was invited to the Fintorn Foundation, the community based in the north of Scotland, by a colleague of his, a friend of his called Sir George Trevelyan. And Bernard took circle dancing to the foundation. At that point, it wasn't called circle dancing. It has many names. It can be circle dancing, sacred dancing, sacred circle dancing. It, it runs under different names. But at its most simple form, we hold hands, we dance in a circle, mainly to two aspects of music, traditional music, Balkan, Macedonian, Israeli, Romanian. And then the other aspect is to contemporary music, with uh, choreographies. And the question, which could have a long answer, I suppose, is how would you describe the magic of circle dancing after all these years? 
in a way, if you're going to come for the first time, I don't think I can describe it. I think it's something that when you walk into that room and you're greeted by a warm, welcoming teacher, a group of dancers who are always love to see new people come, you take hands, you look across the circle, people are smiling at you, you hear the music, you move together, and there's a feeling of coming home. I think that's the magic. I agree. And I think people who are listening may think, but I'm not good at dancing. What would you say to them? I would say that we all believe that when we first dance. <laughs> and a, a lot of the music is slow and gentle. And there is a saying, if you can walk, you can dance. And that's a little bit um, frivolous, I think. But actually, it's not about can you get every step right? It's not about are you a natural dancer? It's something that evolves and it it goes into you in a way. And it's just the steps are an outward expression of everything that you're feeling inside. And the average age of people dancing in England now is probably well, well into their 60s. And, and the delight of it is because it's often very gentle, you can be dancing. I have 80, 85 year olds dancing with me. And also you don't have to dance every dance that's on offer. There are also, of course, some faster dances. And sometimes I have dances on my Tuesday afternoon class and dancers sit down and just enjoy watching, enjoy the movement, enjoy the music. But you don't have to be a trained dancer in any form to step into this circle and just move. I think in our competitive society, that is that may be an alien idea. And I think that's what makes circle dancing so unique. I think there's this unique quality of acceptance and complete Yes, acceptance. Anything you do, if you're doing it coming from the right place within you, this is a social activity. This isn't an exam. This isn't a test. This is for pure pleasure to come and dance whenever your circle meets and enjoy coming together in community and moving together. And it, of course, it's very special when everybody dances all the steps together at the same time. But that's a, that actually doesn't happen all the time. And so, yes, just just come along. You don't have to be perfect. You can't be perfect. It's an impossibility. Mm. Judy, how did you come to be a circle dance teacher? My training is that I was a physical education teacher, so I've moved all my life. But interestingly, I've always been a games player. I played international lacrosse. I played tennis at junior Wimbledon. I was a games player. And at PE college, I hated all the dancing. I hated the modern educational dance. I didn't enjoy it at all. The part of the dance curriculum I did enjoy more was what was called national dance at the time and that was 
mainly what was offered to us then was Israeli dancing. So my career started as a PE teacher. And then um, one day I was driving home from school. Somebody drove into the back of my car. I was living on my own at the time. So my car was a write-off. Friends said, come and stay with us the weekend because I was very shaken. I stayed with them and they said, uh, we're going to go to a spring equinox celebration. Do you want to come and join us? I said, oh, yes, that would be lovely. What's a spring equinox? Because I didn't have any idea of anything in those days. So I went along and there was some dancing done as part of that gathering. And I thought, oh, this is quite nice. So then I went to the summer solstice and I went to the autumn equinox and I went to the winter solstice and it just became a, a, a hobby of mine and then um, I decided to give up teaching physical education because it wasn't where I wanted to be I was in my early 30s then but it well late 20s early 30s it wasn't where I wanted to be as as a 40 year old um so I just thought, I don't know what I'll do, but I'll do something. And then a friend said, well, why don't you take circle dancing into the special needs area, as it was then called in school? So I took, with my background of being a PE teacher, I contacted local schools and some special schools for children with special abilities or needs. And it began like that. And then a dance teacher left and I took over the dance, that group, and it just grew. And somebody said to me once, is this a hobby that got out of hand? <laughs> and I think that could be right, because I've now been teaching full time for 35 years, something like that, traveling all over the country and fortunately all over the world. And it's unusual for a circle dance teacher to do it full time, isn't it? It is very unusual because... Um, it's not a, a highly lucrative form of payment, really, but it goes beyond that. Of course, you have to earn enough money to mm. live, but the, the rewards and the payment goes beyond the finances. And that's why I've done so many, I've branched into so many arms of teaching circle dancing because I decided, you know, at a certain point that this is how I wanted to spend my teaching career because I am a I'm a born teacher and many circle dance teachers find that they are asked to take over a group when their teacher leaves but for me and that is absolutely valid and wonderful because without people like that groups wouldn't continue but for me teaching is an art form and I'm a I'm a teacher born and bred I'm a teacher who dances and you often find circle dance teachers are dancers who teach. Mm. And so I'm a, I'm a teacher who dances. And, and so I've just branched into many aspects. And there's a handful, if even that now, of people who are full-time teachers. This wonderful, wonderful pastime for people. You mentioned that you traveled the world. Would you like to give us an indication of where circle dancing has taken you through the years geographically and still takes you? Wow. Yes. Well, 
I'm based in England, so obviously traveling to Europe is easier for me. So I've taught, I teach regularly in Holland. I've taught in France, Germany, Sweden. Um, I've gone further afield into South Africa, to Brazil, to Canada, to America. Oh, and I've taught in Italy as well. And sometimes I go as a sort of a one-off because the way it works is that the local teachers say, let's invite somebody, a guest teacher to come. Sometimes it's a one-off. And then sometimes, particularly if it's a long-haul flight for me, it kind of becomes a bit more one-off. But in Europe, sometimes it becomes an annual or a biannual event. And I've also taught a lot in Belgium over the years. So I've been very fortunate. And so have those you have taught. Oh, well, that's very kind. Thank you. Then where has circle dancing taken you in terms of personal growth? <laughs> um, well, I'm a completely different person. Um, full stop, really. Um, I think when you work... It depends how you work. Circle dancing can be fun and frivolous. I recently taught a couple of dances at a friend's 80th birthday party. I've taught dances at 60th birthday parties, at weddings, at celebrations. And then they're simply fun. And there's a lot of uh, people who've never danced before. There's often alcohol flowing. And so that energy is clearly very different from a course that I did last week, which was with 20 people, where we come together for five days and we work on literally a handful of dances. And we could maybe be d dancing one dance and working on one dance for an hour. So when you work in that way, you go deeper and deeper and deeper into the dance, you go deeper and deeper into the steps, deeper and deeper into the emotions that come up. And, and so when you've been working in that way, which is how for the last probably 10 or more years, I have been working slightly more deeply, you go deeper into yourself as well. And it's different if you're a teacher, you go somewhere different when you're dancing because you have to stay more fully present. You have to stay observing what, what's happening with the dancing, with the, the group dynamics, with the group energy, with individual people. And so that's very different from when I go and attend a dance class, a dance course myself, where I can just be the dancer and then I can immerse myself in the receiving end of the dance. Mm. I recently read an article you wrote on what and where is the sacred in the dance and what you wrote captivated mm. me. Would you like to talk about this? Yes. Um, I had a very, very special October, November time last year. I'm very privileged to be invited into cathedrals to dance. And it's a very, very special invitation experience. And I had a few weeks of dancing in different cathedrals with different themes. And all of those cathedrals have a very different energy. 
And I think one of the things that is so special is that there is already some very special energy in these places. And also you get the feeling that over the century, over the centuries you've had hundreds if not thousands of people stepping on the same ground that you are stepping on and going into these places with an intention of worship, whether that worship is to kneel and pray, to stand in silence and often in awe because these are magnificent buildings um, or to dance. And I had this series of time where I danced in Wells Cathedral in Hexham Abbey, and Hexham is in the north of England. Wales is in the south, um, not to be um, mistaken for Wales, which is the country. This is Wales mm. in Somerset in the south. Hexham is in the very north of England, and St Paul's Cathedral in London. And I had three different invitations that fell very close together, and I was dancing a different theme in each of those three uh, places but I also in that time attended the funeral of a very special friend who was a poet and he was uh, a priest as well and I walked into the church where the funeral was taking place and there was something palpable in the air and I didn't know what it was, but there was something palpable. And it was respect. It was love. And the word that comes up for me that's very important in dance was intent. And the intent of this funeral was to, to pay respects for this very special man. And then I stood up and I participated in the, in the service I have to confess that the words of the service didn't move me uh, because I'm not a regular, I'm not a churchgoer. So the words didn't move me. But as I stood up, the word sacred came into my mind. This is a sacred happening. So then I was driving home. And I'd had this dancing in Wells Cathedral. I'd had the dancing in St. Paul's. I'd had the dancing in Hexham. And I was full. I was full of gratitude and love and amazement at all these experiences. And as I was driving home, this phrase came to me, what and where is the sacred in dance? And what do we mean by what is the sacred in dance? And... I don't have the answer, <laughs> but I have, I have lots of questions, but as I say, intent, because every single dancer arrives with an intent. They arrive with an intent to learn the steps. They arrive with the hope and intention of a very special experience in a very special place. And they arrive with an intent to dance for whatever the theme is. And for example, my themes can be peace and reconciliation. 
They can be for Brother, Son, Sister, Moon, which is based on the poem by Francis of Assisi, The Canticle of Creation, The Canticle of Creatures. Or it can be to dance under a magnificent globe of artwork called Earth. And so these, everything was bubbling up in my head afterwards. And I just sat down and I wrote and the article that you read came out of my fingertips. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Judy, you mentioned before um, you said something about the intention being going deeper than the steps. Do you think you could mm. explain mm. that? Yes, I think when we first come into a circle, whether you're a beginner or an experienced dancer, and the teacher says, we're going to dance such and such a dance, and we have no knowledge of it, and the teacher teaches you the steps. And so you're learning, for example, side right, cross the left in front, side right, cross the left behind, and the pattern of the steps moves on and you practice. And for a long time, you're thinking, because you're thinking side right, left in front, side right, left behind, and whatever the following pattern is. I think you have to dance a dance many times before your head doesn't have to think that. And then you can just listen to the music and fall into the music and fall into the fact that you are part of a of a large circle of people all moving together. And when you can stop thinking and your body, I believe we make a muscle memory. So when our muscle memory remembers side right, left in front, side right, left behind, when we can go into the muscle memory, when we can go out of our thoughts, when we can go to being part of the whole, then we are, we are starting to go deeper. We're starting to go beyond just the steps. I don't know if that makes sense to you. It certainly does. And I think if, if mm. one dances for many years, then, then that also constitutes a deepening into the dance in a very organic way. Yes, it certainly does. It, because you step into, you'll learn that the side right, cross left in front, side right, cross left behind. It's called a grapevine. Mm. So a teacher will say grapevine. And so you're shortcutting your learning, your head learning, because you know what a grapevine is. You might be told it's a side right, cross left behind, but it's a grapevine pattern and there's a Yemenite step pattern. So you, your learning of the steps is quicker. But the deepening comes with the repetition of dances. I could go and teach in an afternoon or an evening of dances, I could teach you 20 dances and you don't repeat anything. Mm. Then you're only in the steps. I could teach in the same length of time six dances with repetition, repetition, repetition. And with each repetition, you drop deeper. You go further and further out of your head and more and more into your body, into your heart, into the whole experience. And when you're an experienced dancer, 
you can perhaps get there a little bit quicker than a less experienced dancer. But you don't get there unless you have, I think, unless you have repetition. And also, like in the five day workshop I've just done with a group where that was the intention, the course was called going deeper into the dance. We danced. There was one dance we danced for an hour and then we worked on it again. Then we danced it again and then we danced it again and then we danced it again. And it's that's not for everybody. Some people just want to go and have fun and do steps to music. And that's lovely. But for me, this going deeper, it comes through repetition, I think. And another thing, how would you explain the cohesion that forms in a circle? <laughs> um, that's very difficult. I want to say it's something that happens, but it that's that's making it too simple. I think it's something like if you if you have a school friend and a really dear friend and you've spent a lot of time with them, then you don't see them for years and you meet them and it's like you picked it up as if it was yesterday. Mm. So when you come into a when you come into a, a circle every Tuesday afternoon, I keep saying Tuesday because that's my regular group, but every every time your regular group comes in, you're you're coming in and you're building friendships and you're building connections. And every time the connections happen more quickly. When you're a stranger walking into a group, you don't feel that cohesion immediately because you're aware you don't know anyone. So it takes time, but I keep coming back to this moving as one, moving together. The fact that we're holding hands immediately makes such a big difference because we have a physical connection. And so it's much easier to feel connected with people when you're physically connected with people. The emotional connection, everything else builds and builds and, and comes and comes with time, I think. Yes, I've often thought that that physical connection moving as one, as you say, is something that, mm. many, that many societies had as part and parcel of their traditions. And then I was jealous because I thought, especially if one goes through a difficult time, like, like you know, you've lost someone, uh, then there was that, mm. that way of gaining comfort, which it seems to me we've lost. Yes. I mean, initially, the traditional folk dances were danced by villagers. They still are in Greece, Macedonia, the Balkan countries. They still are. Um, but they may be danced in a celebration of a harvest. They may be danced for for rain or at a wedding or often at a funeral. So there is that natural coming together there. We don't have that so much in our culture, which is why we create this coming together. We are creating our own family, our own extended families by by dancing together. The issue of, of there is there is comfort in the circle. I lost, as you mentioned earlier, my darling life partner and work part, partner, Mandy DeWinter. She died five years ago and it took me um, It took a while to get back to the dancing because the music 
so point often so poignant and sometimes it was too painful to to be moving to music when I didn't want to be happy and dancing but there is the comfort of people and I think people who dance have a sensitivity and an awareness of what you need so I would go into the circle and sometimes they would as a participant because I didn't teach for a while I took some time away from teaching but they would kind of know if I needed a hug or if I needed to be left there was a, an awareness and a sensitivity that that comes and that that comes from the cohesion of the circle that comes from the um the love, the care, the respect that we have for everybody. Yes, thank you, Judy. Uh, I do remember the wonderful music that Mandy made, and it doesn't often happen that live music is part of a circle. No, it is a it is a rare thing. Um, Mandy was an extraordinary musician. She played many instruments, and she had the ability to make music accessible to non-dancers a lot of what we dance in the traditional dances are in unusual rhythms they mm. could be in seven eight time nine eight time we're in a in our society we're a three four 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 a walking pace or a waltzing pace the irish might have a diddly 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 pace the balkan rhythms have extra beats in the bar and mandy had this amazing ability to help people understand how do you dance an uneven rhythm uh, diddly dum dum <laughs> ever so easy peasy she had ways she had ways of uh, of expressing it and because she was a wonderful musician she gathered musicians around her and she enabled them and helped them play these difficult rhythms and because she was also a dance teacher, she was one of these rare people who could bring those two together. You can get musicians who can read the dots and play the music, but it's not at the pace or with the feeling that the dancers need. But Mandy had this ability to put her musical ability, and she was a wonderful dancer and a wonderful teacher, but she had these this ability to bring the music and the dance together. She made a lot of music. She made many CDs. She's made DVDs. So we are lucky we can still hear her singing. We can still see her dancing. And she left a huge legacy. And people still are using her music. And actually, last week, I went on to Facebook. And in Brazil, on a, a course, they showed a small clip and there's Mandy singing and they're dancing a Greek dance to Mandy's song. Mm. So her music lived on. But it's very special to, to dance to live music because you have the musicians often, not always, but often in the middle of the circle and you dance around them. So you can see them, you can feel them, you can hear them. Normally we're dancing to recorded music and it comes from a... Um, I don't know, a, a laptop or a CD player that's on the stage behind us. And it's something that happens from behind us. When the musicians are in the middle, the connection you feel is a very different one because you've got real people in front of you playing their hearts out for you to dance to. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing. Indeed, a wonderful experience. 
You've now talked about mm. the middle of the circle. Would you like for those not familiar with circle dancing to talk about the centerpiece? Yes, we dance in a circle and very often, but not always, there's something placed on the ground in the middle of the circle, which acts as a focal point. And it can be things of beauty. Very often, it's a, a beautiful scarf, some flowers, a candle and some, something else to balance what we're looking at. On a practical level, if you've got a small group of people in a large room without anything in the middle, they'll drift. And they'll wander and they'll go up the hall and down the hall, forwards and back, because we just naturally do. Having something in the middle as a focal point helps to keep the circle and helps to keep us moving in, in one place, really. At Findhorn, where a lot of the dancing began, they will often have something in the middle, but they won't put it on the ground. It will be a beautiful, tall something with a candle on the top so that the focal point is higher. But for most of us, we need to put it on the ground uh, because we are, we're travelling minstrels or travelling <laughs> teachers. It all has to fit in a bag. Judy, could you tell us more about circle dancing and choreography? Circle dancing began with the traditional dances from the countries I've previously mentioned. And... Bernard Rosine was the person who began that. Um, he travelled through the Balkan countries and he collected the dances. And there were no tape recorders there in those days. He'd write down the steps, he'd write down the dots, and then he he found the music or whatever. So a lot of the music very early on was traditional. For the first I don't know, 10 years of my dancing career, it was traditional music only. And then the other arm that Bernard Vosine had was that he, he was a choreographer. So he would choreograph to classical music. He had a dance pupil called Friedel Kloke-Eibel, who lives in Germany, and she began choreographing dances to other music. And other dance teachers now will find contemporary music and they will choreograph dances to the music. Some, if I may be so bold to say, are very wonderful dances and I think some could have been left in the choreographer's front room, dare I say that, <laughs> um, and everything in between. And it's like any traditional dance. Sometimes you'll love a traditional dance and sometimes you won't. Sometimes you'll love a choreographed dance and sometimes you won't. I think there is a... Um, I like to describe the circle dance repertoire, if you like, if you can imagine a tree. And if you can imagine the roots of a tree going down deep into the earth. And for me, the roots of the tree are our traditional dances that's where we began. There were no choreographed dances, very few choreographed dances in our early days. So there are roots. If you think of the trunk, that's us. That's the person. That's the teacher. Those are the dancers. And above the trunk, you have the branches. And the branches are, I think, the, the result of all, all those years of dancing together and going down into our roots and they are the new choreographies they are the new creations i think our tree is in danger of falling over 
because I think there are so many choreographed dances now that the branches are becoming heavier and heavier. And contemporary choreographies, in a way, are easier to dance because very often, as I've mentioned before, the music is in a waltz rhythm or in four time. And so it's very much easier. As a teacher, you have to understand more to teach the uneven Balkan rhythms, the traditional roots rhythms. And it's not a criticism, it's just an observation that I have. More and more dance teachers have lost the traditional repertoire and we're dancing the choreographed dances more. And there are some beautiful choreographed dances. And I love working. I I work 75% maybe not that much, with choreographed dances. Mandy was an absolute genius and an, and an expert with the traditional dances. And so when we worked together, she would teach the majority of those, although she was very capable of teaching the choreographies and indeed was a very wonderful choreographer herself. Then I would teach the modern things with the ability to teach the traditional. Since she's died, I've felt that I, in order to keep her passion alive and in order to keep the roots of the circle dance repertoire alive, I'm teaching more traditional dances to try and keep my personal tree more in balance. Yeah, I take note of the need for balance that you mention. But apart Mm. from that, I'd like to know what inspires you to choreograph a dance. The music. I might hear a piece of music and I'll just get up and start moving. And sometimes the the dance is there instantly and sometimes the core of the dance is there and it requires some work, a lot of work, a little bit of work, but it's always the music. I never dance a dance where I don't love the music, be it traditional or choreographed. Mm, That says a lot. And then, Judy, I do remember when you were in South Africa, the workshop I attended, that you spoke about one or more of your dances as including sacred geometry. Would you like to elaborate on that? That probably was an area that I was working with at the time. Friedel Kloka Eibel, who I've mentioned before, who is a very special dance teacher. You'll be able to find her. um, She has a website. At the time I was working with her, she was working a lot with sacred geometry. And so that would have been something that I was um, inspired by at the time. I don't now work so actively with that. But at any given time when we're dancing, we are creating these sacred patterns. We're drawing these patterns on the floor with our feet. We're drawing circles. We're drawing triangles. Sometimes we're, depending on a dance, we might be dancing a pentagram or a pentagon or a, but it's not something that I I am now working with actively. I see.
Just a quick explanation of what I do. I'm a content entrepreneur creating podcasts and articles for my own platform and for various magazines and digital platforms. My website contains a growing collection of podcast episodes and articles on emotional health, parenting, love relationships, and the life challenges we all face. Each episode or article showcases a therapist, coach, or other wellness professional, so you can get to know them and easily find an expert who will resonate with you should you need one. So far, I've interviewed 100 well-being providers from many countries. After all, online therapy and coaching means we can connect across continents. If you love getting a glimpse of the person behind the professional, click on Up Close and Personal on my website for articles on many of the experts I've featured. And if you're a wellness professional interested in being my podcast guest or being featured in an article on my platform, take a look at services on my website and send me an email. Now, back to my guest. Now, around the world, circle dancing was impacted by COVID-19. How did it affect you and your work? Um, I had two years off. (laughs) Um, Yes, I, none of us could dance at all for a while. We had two complete lockdowns in England. And so nobody was allowed to go anywhere, go out, do anything at all. Um, Once we were able to start coming out into the world again, if you like, but we had all these restrictions of don't hold hands. You've got to be two meters apart. You have to be outside to meet. You can't be inside. You can't this. You can't that. You can't the other. But some teachers wanted to get back into the circle. So they would dance outside, not holding hands, keeping a two meter distance. Some people then would hold, take long scarves to hold um, instead of holding hands. So they kind of felt a connection. For me, I didn't want to do any of that. For me, the essence of circle dance is the connection, the, um, the togetherness. And if I couldn't have that physical connection, I didn't want to be dancing. I wanted to dance freely with joy rather than a fear of coming to one and a half metres closer to somebody instead of two metres apart from somebody. I wanted just, I just want freedom and connection and dance. So for me, I didn't dance at all. I did lots of work. I did lots of preparation. I developed lots of themes, but that was all in my office at home. But I didn't actively dance whereas some people were dancing outside regularly. Some people then came back to dancing in a hall and they actually marked out two meter tapes or crosses to indicate how you could, how close you were allowed to be. But for me, that wasn't going to work at all. So on a personal level, I did nothing with the group for, for two years. Yeah, that couldn't have been easy. 
It was a mixture. The first the first few months I, I actually quite enjoyed because I was exhausted and had been very busy mm. and we had glorious weather over here, which you can't often say that of England. So and and I'd go for walks and the sky got bluer and the bird song got louder <laughs> and and life you know, it was lovely. Nature was just magnificent and it was March time and it was spring and it was fabulous. So for the first few months it was just like having a holiday it was lovely but then when they were with the physical lockdowns because I now live on my own that was really hard uh it was lonely it was isolating my loss of Mandy felt even greater or it rather it felt like I'd lost her again because there was such a big an even bigger gap because I couldn't get out to do other things as as distraction so I wasn't completely disconnected from from the circle dance world because I was creating themes and suites of dances. And so I was still working creatively with the music and dance, just not with people. But then the interesting thing was once we got back into the circle, I gave people the option of holding a scarf or holding hands or dancing unjoined within the circle wearing a mask or not wearing a mask and I had all that different combination but once we got back into that circle and I put out my hand somebody took it and I looked round, and out of 20 people there there were 18 people holding hands and it felt like we'd never been away it was extraordinary if listeners feel drawn to circle dancing listeners from around the world where will they find a circle? Well, search on the on the web, of course. I have a personal website, but that that um, I guess you can give people that afterwards. Yes. There is an organisation called the Grapevine, and that is a quarterly newsletter that goes out. Uh, it's based in England. It goes out around the world, and within that, there is a a dictionary of, and that's not quite the right word. Anyway, it's diary dates, what's happening with English dance teachers. There are listings of international dance teachers and their websites and their contact emails. I know that in South Africa, you have something called the Drumbeat. That's right. Which is produced by Yvonne and Gail, who I mentioned earlier. Yes. So South African listeners would be able to contact them who could put you in contact with other dance teachers but basically I think if you go online and and search circle dancing you're likely to find something somewhere yeah the grapevine I think grapevine does have a, a presence uh, I have the website address which I can give you later if you want to put thank you yes I will connect the link to your website and the link to uh, the grapevine, I will link that to the podcast and then all the other information like uh, about our South African drumbeat that I will include in the podcast notes. Yes, perfect. Yeah. And I think people have to be prepared to go to more than one dance class because a lot of it is also about how you feel a, a connection or a warmth with the teacher. Mm. And so sometimes you'll go in there and you'll think, 
yes. And sometimes you go in and think, oh, I'm not sure. It's like I've been to uh, different, I do a lot of sport and tennis. So I also go to physiotherapists and I go to one physiotherapist and I think, yeah, fantastic. This is the person for me. And I'll go to another one before I found this other one. And I think, I'm not sure. So, but that doesn't mean physiotherapy isn't for me. It means that physiotherapist Mm -hmm. isn't for me. This other physiotherapist is. And it's the same with dance teachers because we're all different. We all have a different angle. We all have a different personality. And so go, go somewhere and you find that person immediately. Wow. Great. If you think, Oh, I'm not sure. Go to a different group and find another teacher. We're all out there. There are quite a few of us doing this. Thank you, Judy. And would you like to tell us more about your workshops and other offerings? Um, in what terms? I know you have a shop on your website, for instance. What could listeners find there? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so there, there is a, a shop where you can buy the CD and dance notation and DVDs of many dances also books that I've published um, about the dance or that I've helped publish or have translated or co-written. So the material is available there. It also, my workshop does link where I am teaching. If anybody feels they they feel moved to travel, um, you can see what, what I'm doing. I'm in the fortunate position of a lot of my workshops book up quite quickly. So my website will go into 2024. Mm. Um, and sometimes people think, oh, that's so far ahead. I don't know what I'll be doing then. And then it comes to the date and they, they've missed it because mm. it's full. But my workshops are linked there and as I say the CDs as you mentioned CDs DVDs dance notation yeah it's all there yeah it's all there there's a lot of info there and I think the the Mm. photographs Mm. give one a very good idea of dancing and also I would say of going deeper into the dance Mm. yes I mean I am one of those teachers who will go deeper. There are other dance teachers in the network who who don't want to do that. That's not what they want to do. So that's why I say go to more than one teacher, Mm -hmm. because if you don't want to go deeper into it, then not on my Tuesday group. We don't go deeper into it. We've got two hours. We can't, you know, but we build over a weekly time. Or there are these longer workshops where we where we are able to to explore in more depth what we're doing. So, yes, it's all there. Mm. It's all there. Thank you, Judy. And on a lighter note, can I ask you a fun question? Well, you can ask, yes. (laughs) (laughs) If for one day you could be a creature with wings, now it could be a creature from the real world or a creature from a fantasy world. Which creature would you like to be? Oh, now you're asking a person who's terribly grounded. Mm. So that's a fascinating question. I'm a very earthbound creature. On a very personal note, I what would I be? I'd like to be a creature that can soar and fly. Mandy will be up there somewhere. Mm. And I'd like to be a creature that will take me to see her. Mm. But I don't know what that creature would Mm. be. So it's a bit of a deep 
deep, sad answer to a, to a fun question, but yes, that's me. I think you've just <laughs> illustrated going deeper. <laughs> yeah, so thank you for the privilege of talking to you about circle dancing and that you shared what I don't think is as much your passion as it is a way of life. Not so. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. It is my my whole being and my raison d'etre, I think. Mm. So, but it's been a delight to talk to you and to reconnect with you after all these years, yes. and and it's brought back all the it's brought back all those memories of our dancing times with Gail and Yvonne, mm. and and just our lovely visits to you all in in South Africa. Yes, just thank you. Thank you, Judy, and to our listeners, it was good of you to join us. I'd love you to subscribe to this podcast series and rate it where you download your podcasts. And if this episode inspired you, please share it with someone you care about. Go to my website, www.marietsneeman.co.za for this episode's podcast notes and for free articles and podcast episodes on how to live a happier life and have more fulfilling relationships. To follow me on Facebook, just search for Mariette Sneeman, journalist. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me with original music by Mark marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.00.